Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, everybody? Man, great to see you all this weekend. I want to welcome all of our campuses and those of you that are joining us online today. Man, just super grateful for all of you. And man, I, my name is Mike, in case you've never met before, and I get to be on the teaching team here. And it's just an honor and a privilege of mine to get to do that. Hey, before we get started today, um, at the end of our services, uh, we are, uh, uh, we're going to spend some extended time just in prayer uh, for those who've been affected uh, by the devastation in Turkey and Syria. I'm sure you have been praying daily uh, for those folks uh, like I have. But I want to let you know that because of your uh, continued generosity, because so many of you have really put God first in your resources, as a church, we've been able to respond with tangible help and hope immediately uh, whenever things like this happen around the world. And gang, we live in a broken world. And the scripture says that all creation is groaning to be made right again, and someday it will be. Uh, but until that day, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to help hurting people. Uh, so be praying for our ministry partners that are on the ground over there serving people. And thanks again for your uh, continued generosity in that. Well, we're in this series uh, that we're just calling First Things First. We're talking about prioritizing things in our life, putting God first in everything in our life. Last week, if you're with us, you know Josh talked about uh, prioritizing rest unpack this thing called the Sabbath principle, this thing that, that God kind of put in the maintenance schedule of the owner's manual to say, listen, if you're going to run optimally with your life, you got to shut it down. You got to rest. You got to recharge. You got to reflect. Just be still and know me. If, if you missed last week, you got to check it out online. It was so good. It spoke so much to, to my soul. And today we're going to talk about something that all of us have to deal with. And to ease into it, let me ask, we got any English teachers here today? Any journalists, uh, Pulitzer Prize wannabes, any authors, any writers? Then you know what simile is, right? Let, let me show you the definition of simile. Simile is a figure of speech involving the comparison of one thing with another thing of a different kind used to make a description more emphatic or more vivid. I ran across some examples of simile used by high school and college students. These are real attempts of using simile in their writing classes, and they are awesome. For instance, the little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. That's an attempt at using simile. I love this one. She, she had a deep, throaty, genuine laugh, like that sound a dog makes just before it throws up. Simile, there it is. I love this one. John and Mary had never met. 
They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. He was as tall as a six foot three inch tree. I love this one. It's so romantic. Her hair glistened in the rain like nose hair after a sneeze. And this next one, you know a student wrote this. Long separated by cruel fate, the star-crossed lovers race across the grassy field toward each other like two freight trains, one having left Cleveland at 6.36 p.m. traveling. If you've ever taken the ACT or the SAT, you know exactly where that student was coming from. And finally, the last one, her vocabulary was as bad as like whatever. I mean, those are classic attempts at using simile. Well, just one more. Their money became like Godzilla and trampled all over their dreams. I wrote that one. Because it can be like that, can it? You know what? Jesus talked more about money than about heaven and hell combined. The number one fighting word among married couples, kids, sex, in-laws, which Netflix series to watch? Not even close. It's money. Now, prioritize correctly and manage wisely, money can be a huge blessing. It can affect a whole lot of change in the world. It can help a whole bunch of people, but managed poorly without the right perspective, without putting first things first, it really can become this monster that will chew you up, spit you out, and trample you to death. I've been there. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Who you got? Chiefs? Who's got Chiefs? Chiefs? What about Eagles? Eagles? Wow. Uh, I'm a Bengals fan and, and a Packers fan, and neither are in this game. But I've always loved what Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, used to say every opening day of training camp. He would gather all these veteran football players, all these rookies together, guys that have been playing football since they were like eight years old. He would pick up the pigskin and say, gentlemen, this is a football. I mean, how basic can you get, right? And that's what I want to do today. I just want to go back to the basics regarding our finances. Now, we, we have Financial Peace University groups that can give you some practical tools that can help you with the nuts and bolts of like budgeting and debt reduction and investing and generosity and such. And lots of people have found those resources very helpful. But today, I just want to get basic. I want to go to the heart of it all. Because I think if we can just grab some basic principles... This potential monster won't trample all over us, and we'll be able to live with a sense of freedom and joy and gratitude and generosity. Anybody here keep a, keep a diary or a personal journal? Uh, if, if we all got a copy of it to peruse, it would tell us a lot about you, as would your planning calendar or your uh, text threads or your social media his history. But I'm guessing that there's nothing that might unleash a tsunami of uneasiness like if we would flash up on the screen a copy of each person's financial spreadsheet or credit card statement. Now, of course, we cannot do that with everybody. We're just going to do A through L today. I'm just, I'm, I'm just totally kidding. But probably there's no other document that would reveal more about us than that one, right? By looking at that, we'd be able to tell how much, like how much in the entertainment and recreation we might be, 
the importance we place on housing, decorating, upgrading, stuff like that, the value we place on driving a certain kind of car and how much we drive that car, how much we spend on gas, how much that car needs repairs. It will reveal how much we're into clothes or looks or, or fitness. It will reveal how much we eat out, how much our kids eat, what kind of vacations we take or lack thereof. It will reveal whether or not we're a college student. It would also reveal some things like impulsiveness or discipline or generosity or compassion or preparedness or wisdom. And to a degree, it would reveal what is it that makes our heart beat fast? In fact, Jesus told us one time, if we really want to know who or what has our heart, just check your treasure. Now, I got to say this up front that what we're talking about today is in no way designed to bang more bucks out of church people. We just don't do that. Not trying to pile on guilt, not trying to beat anybody up for financial mistakes. We've all made financial mistakes. Man, Debbie and I, early on in our marriage, we had a truckload of them. I mean, Godzilla and me have gone, we've gone head to head many, many times. So I'm just praying today that we could just all let our defenses down, set any cynicism and pride aside, and just humbly allow God to realign our priorities and teach us some first things first, basic principles that would allow us to manage what He has given us in a way that honors Him and helps other people and brings us a huge degree of freedom. So I just want to give you two, this is a football, basic principles that have really helped Debbie and me along the way. Basic principle number one is this. God owns it all. I forgot that. I think we forget that. Now, Jesus would tell these stories that involve simile. He was a master at using simile. He was brilliant at it. He would, he would often say things like, the kingdom of God is like, uh, and then he would say, uh, a guy who finds a, a buried treasure in a field and sells everything he has so he can buy that field. The kingdom of God is like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one and he leaves a 99 and he goes after that one lost one. The kingdom of heaven is like a fresh wine. It's like yeast. It's like a mustard seed and on and on. Jesus would use simile. And I want to use one of his stories as kind of a backdrop for some of this discussion today. Some of you are familiar with it. It's found in Matthew chapter 25 which in, in the first book of the New Testament, toward the back of that, this is one of those parable stories that Jesus would tell, and this is how he starts. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. Now, did you see our first basic principle hidden in that paragraph? He entrusted his money to them. Anybody teaching kids to drive right now? Can we just pause and pray for these folks right now? I remember my, my dad, my dad, my, he was so wise. He taught me to drive in a cemetery. He said, Mike, pull in there, you can't kill nobody. And that's, that's why, no kidding. That's where I learned, I learned to drive in a cemetery. I'm not making that up. Now, when my kids started to learn how to drive, I entrusted my car to them. There was never any question I could take back my car anytime I wanted to for any reason. They only had responsibilities while I maintained the rights of ownership. In the same way, every single possession that I have, including my quote unquote, my car, it really belongs to my father. I might possess a lot of stuff, but I own absolutely nothing. 
You see, an owner has rights. A manager just has responsibilities, and I'm just simply managing his resources. I mean, this principle is woven all throughout the Bible. For instance, God reminds Moses back in the Old Testament, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And then Moses turns and reminds the people, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. In a conversation with a guy named Job, God says this, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Because everything under heaven belongs to me. God, through one of the prophets named Haggai, reminds the people, the silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. A worship leader named Asaph penned these words in Psalm chapter 50, for every animal is the fo- in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Now listen to me. God is not on an ego trip when he says that stuff. We all know from experience that he is a gracious giver. He's not a selfish hoarder. But he knows that you and I have a tendency to puff ourselves up with self-sufficiency and go through our lives saying, no, it's all mine. And I'm telling you, that kind of ownership mentality, it just piles on way too much pressure. You see, if I really believe that God owns it all, I don't hold so tightly to my stuff. It frees me up to let him take back whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, because it's his anyway. While we were ministering in Las Vegas, planted a church there. In fact, that church just turned 30 years old uh, last week. Uh, I drove a really old car that needed tons of repairs. And we've been putting a little aside uh, each paycheck to eventually someday buy another car. But for the the time it was serviceable, uh, had tires and a radio. Uh, The paint was faded all over it. The the passenger window was held up with duct tape. Am I describing anybody else's car here? And the, the one, one, one door handle was off the side, so you had to reach through the window and unlock the door from the inside. Uh, we were on our way with our, with our family from Las Vegas to California when the transmission fell out in Barstow, California, which, if you don't know, is a gorgeous spot uh, in which to break down. Well, I simply coasted down the exit ramp, down a hill, right into a car dealership at the bottom of the hill. And I said, God... Your car broke. Now what? And because we had some money saved, saved aside, I left that old junker right there, and I bought a new car. Right, that, that, and I had a whole lot of whole lot of peace about it. Our kids will never forget that that experience. But this principle allows me to see that not only is like my giving a spiritual decision, but every spending decision is a spiritual decision. There's nothing more spiritual about giving than buying a car or taking a vacation, or going to the grocery, or remodeling your bathroom, or playing golf, or paying taxes, or paying off debt. I'm using his resources to do all of that. Now, I have a great deal of latitude in how I use it, and as our father, he even wants you and me to enjoy it, but it's still his, and I'm going to have to give an account of how I managed his money someday. He owns it all. This first principle helps me see the who behind it. The second principle has been very helpful to me in understanding the why behind money stuff. The second principle is this. God has enrolled you and me in UCD. Not TCU, not UCLA, not SMU. 
but UCD, the University of Character Development. Anybody else been enrolled in that school? Sometimes I think I'm like permanent sophomore class president. But I believe the most important thing you and I bring home from work is not our paycheck. It's our character. Because God cares more about our character than anything else. And he uses all kinds of things along the way in life to shape us. He uses jobs and kids and parents and in-laws and school and difficult neighbors and tough bosses and hard coaches and lingering illnesses. He will use all the stuff that sometimes this unfair life can throw at us to shape our character and to make us more like Jesus, which by the way is his goal. And money management just happens to be one of those things that has a way of growing us up from the inside out. I heard years ago that there are at least three ways that God uses money. He uses it as a tool, a test, and a testimony. God uses money as a tool. Like a potter, God's desire is to put you and me on the wheel and, and, and just put his loving hands on us and shape us and mold us and use money as a chisel to shape the desires and the passions and the appetites within each one of us. For instance, I believe that God has placed within every single one of us this desire to excel. Now, of course, we can let that drive get unhealthily out of control, but for the most part, that drive is a very good thing because God's an active God, and God does all things with excellence, and we have been made in the image of God. I don't know about you, but I want a surgeon who's committed to excellence. I want a pilot who knows what he's doing. When the Eagles lose to the Chiefs today, they will go back and analyze how they can improve and get better next year. I would say that three out of four weekends, I go home and go, man, I didn't say that exactly right. I got I to, gotta, man, I got to get better at this. There's nothing wrong with a healthy desire to excel. There's nothing wrong with a strong work ethic and a healthy ambition. And a man or a woman who is gifted to make money ought to do that with excellence. However, we can't be naive in thinking that along with that drive, doesn't come a bunch of potentially damaging temptations like greed, self-sufficiency, insensitivity, envy, and apathy toward people and their needs. In fact, stats show that high achievers who make more than 100000 a year give a much smaller percentage to charitable causes than those who make much less. You see, if ambition is not balanced, as our possessions grow, our character can shrink. And so God uses our finances, whether we have a lot or a little, as a tool to shape our character. We ought to be continually asking God, God, what are you trying to teach me through all this? What do you see that you need to chip away at in me so that my character can, in fact, begin to look like Jesus? So God uses money as a tool to shape our character, which is priceless to him. And he also uses it as a test, a tool and a test. Money can test my motives. It can make me ask, what am I really about? in this short life. I mean, is God really first in my life? Do I truly love him? Do I genuinely care about the needs of other people? Is my heart expanding to generously share with other people? Or am I selfishly shrinking on the inside? Proverbs 1.9 says this, when you grab all you can get, that's what happens. The more you get, the less you are. It also tests my integrity God wants to know, will you and I be honest with earning and managing money? Again, it's not how much you earn, but rather how did you earn it and how are you using it? He wants to know, is what I have given you to manage helping you grow in honesty, in compassion? Is it helping you grow in integrity? And several years ago, when you could still do this, I pumped gas in my truck 
and then totally spaced it and pulled away from the station without paying. And I got almost home, which was a good 15 minutes away. I was getting ready to pull in the driveway, and it hit me. I went, oh, my goodness. So I turned around, went back to the gas station, walked inside. The guy behind the counter said, man, I, I, I'm so sorry. A while back, I, I pulled away without paying for gas. He said, well, dude, thanks. Thanks so much for coming back, because you know what? A lot of people don't. And then he said, and by the way, man, I love coming to your church. It's like, oh, my goodness, that was, woo, that was close, that was close. Not only does it test my motives and my integrity, but it also tests my ability to manage really important things. Can I be trusted with really important stuff? Let's go back to Jesus' story for a minute, verse 16. He says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. They took what the owner had given them, and they just wisely put it to work. And notice the amount is not important here. Because he, he says the exact same thing to the five-bag guy and the two-bag guy. Verse 21, the master was full of praise when the five-bag guy came to him. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then it says the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Come, let's celebrate together the exact same commendation to both of these guys. So it's not about the dollar amount. God is simply testing our ability to manage temporary things like money to see if he can entrust us with eternal things really important things, like the precious lives of people. Jesus said on another occasion in Luke chapter 16, he said, listen, unless you're faithful in small matters, you're not going to be faithful in large ones. Even if you cheat a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's money, why should you be trusted with money of your own? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Both can't be first. So God uses money as a tool, as a test, and also as a testimony. You know, more than what I just verbally say, all of this reveals what I'm really passionate about. And whether or not I truly know God and trust his character. Look, look at the last guy in the story. Verse 24, when the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew, I knew, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. So I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. What struck me in this is this guy did, obviously did not know the master's character even calls him harsh and dishonest, accuses him of things that weren't remotely true, probably to excuse his own irresponsibility. Or maybe he was ticked that he only got one bag while the other two got more. So he takes whatever was given to him, buries it, goes through his life doing his own thing. His heart was never about pleasing the one who had blessed him with the resources. And gang, money testifies to a watching world how you and I really feel about God whether we really know him or not, whether we really love him or, or trust him. 
You know, God reminds us in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. That's the truth about God. He's not a harsh man like the one bag guy said. And if your life is free from the love of money, you can see the truth about God's generous character. You know that he is the giver of all good gifts. You know that he's your father. He's your dad who can be trusted. And your life becomes this gratitude-filled testimony to your family, to your friends, to the people at work, to your classmates of how you trust the God who has given you so much more than enough and you're allowing him to shape your character. I, I talked with a wonderful older lady in the lobby one weekend who told me how the extended medical care uh, for her husband left her with all kinds of debt when he passed away. And she was really quick to say he was a hard worker, he was a good planner, he had really good insurance, but still with all the deductibles and all the different medicines, uh, the bills piled up. And she said not only was she devastated with grief over her husband passing, and she went through bouts of depression because she was completely overwhelmed by the debt. And a friend told her about Financial Peace University, and she started going. And she spent like nine weeks of the course and slowly started chipping away at the debt. And she told me, it took me a disciplined three and a half years until I was debt-free. And she talked about how grateful she was for Financial Peace University and, and for the way God had shaped her character in the process. And she said, through the whole thing, God just kept ensuring me, like he says in Scripture, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And I just stood in the hobby and just gave her a huge hug and told her what a hero she is to me. Because I think there is something in each one of us that says, I don't want to go to UCD. I don't want to be in character development school. I want to cut class. I can't wait for spring break. Spend three and a half years trying to get debt free. Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. I got to find a way right now to hit it big. Can I just get something off my chest? I'm going to anyway, whether you give me permission. There's a lot of people in our culture who just want to get rich quick. They want to get freed up fast financially. I've lived among the video poker addicts and blackjack addicts of Las Vegas. I've stood in convenient lines behind a guy buying $100 worth of lottery tickets while he put 10 bucks of gas in an old broken down car with three hungry kids sitting in it. I grew up in the home of a compulsive gambler who had racing forms all over the backseat of his car and made a call to a bookie every day of his life for decades. I've watched guys take fantasy football to a whole other level in hopes of hitting it big. I've seen people obsess over the stock market being up or down to the point of it controlling their life. I've seen men and women sink their money into get-rich-quick schemes and lose everything they had. And I have to ask myself, why do people do that? Why do people want to get rich quick? Because getting rich quick requires no character. Picking the Powerball, guessing the point spread requires luck. And all the while, God is saying, you're missing the point. I've enrolled you in UCD. I want to build your character into your life because character lasts. Money doesn't. So one of the ways I want to shape you is to let you manage my money and learn priceless traits like wisdom and discipline and patience and perseverance and courage and delayed gratification and gratitude and generosity and contentment because that's what counts. That's the real long-term payout. And the Powerball can't give you any of that stuff. 
I'm telling you, these two basic principles. These two basic principles have been so formative in my understanding of handling money. Because for a long time, I didn't do a very good job of it. God owns it all. And he has enrolled me in character development school, and he will use money as a tool, as a test, and then as a testimony. I'm telling you from experience, you get a handle on that, then gratitude starts to replace, replace greed. And security replaces your scarcity. And contentment replaces that stupid thing called comparison. Because I think really comparison is what tends to derail us you know, we're always going to look around and see people with more bags of silver than us, right? And it can make us feel like the one-bag guy. There was a study a while back done in Newsweek that asked people, okay, how much would it take to make you happy? Like, how much money are we talking about here? They found that people who made around $25,000 a year said that on the average, they would need to make $54,000 a year in order to feel like they were happy. The same study showed people who made $100,000 a year on the average said they would need to make $192,000 a year in order to feel satisfied and to be happy. And here's what, they, here's what this exhaustive study concluded. Happiness and contentment based on money is always a moving target. No matter how much you make, you'll always be wishing you made twice as much. And gang, let me tell you, that is such a fear-filled, sleepless night's exhausting way to live your life. But when you and I understand that God's the owner of all things, when we acknowledge that everything belongs to him and that he will provide for us, man, it takes a whole lot of pressure off. Said the sparrow to the robin, what I really like to know is why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, well, I guess that it must be that they have no heavenly father the kind that cares for you and me. He's your father, and he cares for you, and he wants to use money to shape our character and to help us bless the lives of other people. And like I said, Debbie and I early on made a bunch of financial mistakes. We were never taught really anything about money and management. I remember we got our first checking account. I didn't even know what a checking account was, and I, and I bounced a check. And I told Debbie, I said, I don't understand this because we have lots of checks. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't know it was like dependent upon what you had in the bank. We, we knew nothing. Uh, but we eventually started learning some principles, and we started putting God first in our finances. I mean, just right off the top, just honoring him with the first part of our income, and we just tried to learn how to live a generous life. And we set as a goal to have this verse define our lives, and by God's grace, uh, we're getting closer to it. It always encourages me to read these words from a guy named Paul who wrote them in prison, Philippians 4, 11, for I have learned to be content. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've just learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. To practice gratitude, to learn contentment, to really trust Him as our Father, to live freely and generously, recognizing he owns it all anyway, man, it's such a better way to live your life. And God wants to help all of us get there. He wants you and me to experience contentment and peace and freedom in every area of our life. And it all starts by entering into a humble relationship with Jesus Christ. 
who died to cancel all of our sin debt and set us free. And then as you and I cooperate with his wise and loving leadership, we can slay this potential money monster. And we can become men and women who have great character and live with a sense of generosity and joy and freedom and peace and contentment. So let me just pray for all of us. Father, I, I, I thank you uh, that you entrust us with your stuff. And God, we want to become uh, good managers of your resources. We want to become generous people who bless the world. And God, we, we want to be people that are entrusted with the true riches of heaven, the precious lives of people. Father, help us not to be selfish and stingy and stressing out all the time about our money. And God, if some of us need to learn some like nuts and bolts of handling money, God, you know I did. I needed to take some classes. I needed to sit down and have people guide me through stuff. I pray that anybody that's in that situation right now would just reach out for some help. I go, I need, I, need, I need to learn how to do this. I thank you for the people here that are able to teach us. There are so many good people here, God. Thank you for that, the way they pour into the lives of other people. And we just meet each other where we're at and help each other take another step. But God, I, I pray that all of that would be, just be based on these, these two basic principles we talked about today, that you own it all. It's all yours. And that while we're here, you've enrolled us in character development school, and money's one of those things that just grows us up. God, I pray that we would become men and women of just, just generous people. We'd, be, we'd just have a sense of freedom, a real peace about things. And like Paul said, we just learn to be content in every situation. Thank you, Jesus, for canceling our sin debt so we can be truly free. And God, use us to bless the lives of other people. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.